This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Praise the Lord, you all look good. Amen. Because you're covered by the blood. Doesn't make any difference what you look like on the outside, it's what you look like on the inside. That's what counts. You know, I, I know what I'm going to preach today, so as we worship God, I've been just kind of praying and thinking about some things and contemplating, you know, the best way to be able to help all of you be better gospel carriers this year, because that's what we've got to, we've got to get people to heaven. You know, we got people we love, we got people we work with. There's people all around us that are good people, but not saved people. And as I was, as I was worshiping the Lord with you and thinking about that, I was thinking, wow, nobody goes to heaven because they're good. People only go to heaven because they're saved. And then I was thinking the other side of the coin, nobody goes to hell because they're bad. People go to hell because they reject Jesus. Bad people can receive Jesus and become clean and go to heaven. Good people can live good all their lives and never receive Jesus as Savior and go to hell. Somebody said, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, it's Bible. The Bible says, the Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. But if you come born again, you receive His righteousness, and righteousness simply means to be right with God. You get right with God because you receive Jesus. And people receive Jesus because they hear the good news from somebody somewhere, somehow. Somebody gets the information to them, you must be born again through the blood of Jesus. And so anyway, uh, today we're going to be talking about 2020 vision, and we'll get more to what that means in just a second. But anyway, uh, does anybody need a sermon outline? If you didn't get a sermon outline, then hold up your hand. We'll make sure they put one in your hand. And a couple things I want to show from the bookstore before we get to the message. We're coming into a new year, and you know, I know that uh, there's just something happens. There's, there's spiritual seasons. And there's something about changing from one year to the next that something on the inside of you just wants to start for a clean start, a fresh start. And you're looking at the one behind you. that bad. You're all invigorated. You're fired up. And, you know, the world does things that I don't even think of this, the word resolution till I come to New Year's. I know people make resolutions. But the world has this thing. They'll make a resolutions. Well, these resolutions they make usually last for a while about how they're going to lose weight, how they're going to exercise and then Christians make a resolution too many times. We're going to come to church more, going to read the Bible more, going to pray more, <clears throat> and all those kind of things. Well, those resolutions just get lost so quick. But when you, from your heart, make a decision based upon the Word of God and ask Him for health to do, help to do what you want to do, what you tell Him you're going to do, and then you stick with Him in it, then those commitments in the name of Jesus followed through with action based upon faith from the Word of God will help you follow through and keep your commitment. But I want to show you a book that has influenced a lot of what I'm going to talk about today called Following God's Plan for Your Life. Following God's Plan for Your Life. How many here, I've advertised that for years, how many here have one of those copies? How many here have Following God's Plan? Several of you have these books. I recommend you get this book. And this is not a book you read one time and say, oh, that was a nice book, but I read Reader's Digest, too. That was a nice book, too. And there was nice little stories and jokes and nice little testimonials of Reader's Digest. Oh, that was so inspiring. Faith doesn't come by Reader's Digest. Amen. Faith doesn't come by Superman comic books. Faith only comes by the Word of God. And Brother Hagin teaches so well in this book here about how to discern and know God's specific plan for your life and verses out of the Bible and stories from his life and things in this book here show you how to stay on course and follow God's plan. I'm going to talk about some of that today for what I'm teaching. Then this one here is called The Art of Prayer. The Art of Prayer. This is absolutely the best book I've ever read and studied my whole life to help me understand what Bible prayer is, different kinds of Bible prayer, and, you know, I want to say it again. It's kind of cute when I say it, but really it's not, it's not cute. It's sad. But the, the only prayer that most Christians ever know is the Jimmy prayer. And what's the Jimmy prayer? It's the prayer. My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. That's the only prayer most people know to pray, to ask God for things. 
They don't know how to worship Him in prayer. They don't know how to intercede for other people in prayer. They don't know how to pray the prayer committal, committing what they have to Him for Him to be able to do what He wants to do with their life. And so there's so many kinds of prayers. The art of prayer, Brother Hagin goes through the Bible and teaches all kinds of different kinds of prayer. And myself, the way I look at prayer, a lot of times is like a toolkit. You know, we got a lot of different kinds of uh, uh, workers in the church here. We have mechanics in the church. We have carpenters in the church. We have we have electricians in the church. We have plumbers in the church. And you know, you think about a plumber. A plumber has more than a pipe wrench in his kit. If he all all he has is a pipe wrench, he couldn't hardly work on your kitchen sink and change a faucet out. All he can do for a pipe wrench is probably knock it off. But he couldn't unscrew things and have 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 tape to put on the threads to make it work and things. There's different tools in the plumber's kit. He has to know which tool to use at the right time. And I think about a carpenter. Carpenters have saws, and I know that the more technical things get, I myself am not a carpenter, but I've probably got at least a dozen different type, kinds of saws in my garage. I've got table saws, i got saw jaws, i got skill saws, I've got, man, i got jigsaws, i got uh, trim saws, i got miter saws, i got some different kinds of saws, but every saw has a purpose, and I have to know which saw to use for the job I'm using to make the job easier. And then, you know, you think about a mechanic. Mechanics have ratchets, they have wrenches, they have sockets, they have pliers, they have vice grips, they have ball and hammers. And if all you ever know is the ball and hammer tool, and all you ever want to do is hit on stuff to fix it, you know, I, I know people that work that way. If something broke, broke on the car, all they know to do is, well, Dad always just hit on it and started working. Well, with modern things there are in cars, there's more than hitting on it to make it work things work. Well, if all you ever know to pray, well, I know how Grandma prayed. Grandma taught me to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If that's the only prayer you know how to pray, you're going to be in serious trouble when the devil's launched an attack on your family and you don't know how to bind the devil. You don't know how to apply the blood of Jesus to get things taken care of, etc., etc. So anyway, this prayer book, the reason I showed the, this art of prayer today is I know a lot of you today, you're going to be doing your new January 1st day, and you're going to say, Lord, I'm going to pray more this year. And if you keep a journal, you're going to write in your journal, this is going to be a year, I'm going to pray an hour every morning. You know what the Lord would rather you do? Say, Jesus, I'm going to pray five minutes every morning. And be consistent and pray five minutes, and that five minutes will grow. But the main thing is, is to learn how the different kinds of prayers. And I'll tell you, I, I live my life basically like I heard a man say years ago, there was a great man of prayer. And uh, people asked him, they did an interview, said, said, well, how long do you, how, how, how long do you pray? And he stopped and thought about it and said, I never pray more than 15 minutes. But I don't go 15 minutes about praying. And so prayer, it's just simply talking to the Lord. And so I know all day long, whatever I'm doing, I'm constantly in communication with heaven. And sometimes I will see things, I'll just stop, and I'll just think about one of you, God will flash your face before me, and I know things are going through, and I say, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Keep your hands off Dennis Copey and his stuff. I paralyze you in Jesus' name. That's one kind of prayer, is the prayer binding and loosening. And then, then I'll see somebody else's face. I'll, I'll think about Melinda. I'll say, Lord, I don't know what's going on with Melinda right now. And so I'm going to pray in the Spirit. And according to Romans 8, 26 and 27, we pray in the Spirit. We're making perfect prayers of intercession for the saints. Amen. And then sometimes, I, 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 I know there's some things I've prayed about in my life. And I thought, man, I can't pray about that anymore. What I am going to do, Lord, I'm going to, I start praising Him and thanking Him for the answer. That's the prayer of thanksgiving and praise. I begin to think, I point a different tool out all the time. I'm not just reaching down there and thinking, man, I, I, I got a pair of pliers. That'll fix anything. Well, the prayer of faith is Mark 11, 23. You speak to the mountain, say, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you say comes to pass, or have whatsoever you sayeth. And so the prayer of faith, is it the prayer for everything? The prayer petition. 
is Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Well, that's the prayer most Christians pray is all the time. They'll ask him to do something for their lives. And then because they're so dead spiritually, and I don't say that in a mean way, they're so dead spiritually means they don't know anything much. Ten minutes later, they ask him to do the same thing again. And so what are you saying? You're saying, Jesus, you must be a retard. Because I just asked you, and I don't think you really cared, so I'm going to ask you again. And then 20 minutes later, because it's not microwave, it didn't happen right now, I'm going to ask him again. And Jesus is up there thinking, man, you just, you just ask, you just ask, you just ask. Why don't you start thanking me? Because when you ask, I heard you and I'm doing it. And so what I'm saying is if you want to be a better prayer and you want to learn how to use more tools than just one tool, then buy that book. Study that book. Get your Bible out with that book. And 2020 or 2020, whatever, 2020, uh, that will be the best prayer year you've ever had if you start making some changes to help it. Amen? Amen. We want to help, we want to help you today. So anyway, in, uh, in, in, praying and thinking about what I want to do today as we close out 2019 and begin 2020, I can't help but think uh, about what you do at an eye exam. How many here have ever had an eye exam and a real eye doctor? Went to an eye doctor. Well, when you go to the eye doctor, the best thing you can hear when it's over with is you have 20-20 vision. How many like to hear you've got 20-20 vision? Well, that's a good thing to hear from the eye doctor. But the most important thing is, is to have God's spiritual vision for your future. And so how many know that God has a vision for you, for your whole life, one thing, but your life isn't lived all out in one year. God has a vision for your life for 2020. And so I want to help you look through the lens of God's word to see what God sees for your 2020 spiritual vision, the plan God has for your life. And you know, as, as we, you know, as we worship God a while ago, again, I was thinking about this, thinking about life, how people see things. Did anybody here, I know that a few of us remember this. I know Donna, she's, I said she's old, but she's older than she used to be. And I, I'm sure Michael probably, and I know Dennis Copey and Janelle, I know they remember. How many ever watched Mr. Magoo? <laughs> oh yeah, Veronica, yeah, you, you've been around. How many young people know who Mr. Magoo is? <laughs> I look at these people laughing out there, and Katie Brady give me the, like, Mr. Magoo. Well, Dennis, I'm thinking about the Christians. Too many Christians like Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo was a cartoon story back in the, I guess probably in the 60s, huh? Yeah, Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo, was a cartoon guy that basically was so nearsighted he couldn't see six inches in front of his face. So all the time he mistaked what he saw. He saw people, saw things, etc. And he always saw things wrong because he didn't have a pair of glasses on. And so that's how Christians are for the most part. When they look at life, they look at people, they look at the future. They're like Mr. Magoo. They can't see good. And they're not doing anything to change it. If Mr. Magoo got a pair of glasses, he could have seen where he was gone. He would have seen what people really look like. And he would have seen where what, what, what was ahead of him. Well, see, Christians, because they don't have God's vision for their life, they're part of the human race, but they're not running God's race. The, the whole, the, the whole planet is full of people that are in the human race. But God has a race, which is a plan. He wants you to run. And I know that for me, this time 40 years ago, I wasn't even in the race yet. I was seeking God in 1979 to get born again. I got born again in January of 1980. Then, Officially, on January 29th, 1980, I got into the race. I stepped into God's plan. The very first step to get into the plan of God for your life as a human being 
is say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and you died for my sins. Forgive me, Jesus. Come into my heart. I want to be a Christian, Jesus. I want to go to heaven. And the day you take that, according to the Bible, you turn from the nature of Satan to the nature of God on the inside. You become a new creature in Christ. When you become a new creature in Christ, your life really begins. And when your life begins, then the Holy Spirit is not just on the outside, scratching at your heart, knocking on the door of your heart. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opened up, I'll come into him. Well, when he comes into your heart, then the Holy Spirit can begin to influence you about what he wants you to accomplish with your life. I know that for me, I had a lot of years in as a Teamsters truck driver. When I got born again, and all of a sudden, Teamsters truck driving and pension wasn't on the top of my chart. I realized that heaven was real. I realized hell was real. I realized eternity was forever. And so I said, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whatever you want me to be, I'll go, I'll do. What, what do you want me to do, Jesus? What's your plan? And so that God let me know in my heart, his plan is me to head towards ministry. And so I began to pursue things spiritually in my life, to get ready to go into ministry for God, because I had a career change. Ministry is not a career to me, it's a calling. But I, I walked away from the other to start following God's plan, because Teamsters was good. And to this day, I think about it, I love truck driving. I love the smell of diesel. And Nadine, I don't see Joe, but let Joe know that I love that diesel dump truck out there. I love that diesel tractor. That's a couple of things Joe Mumford's let me use on my farm there, man. I love to go out there and start there just to smell the diesel. Man, that was a part of my life for so long, doing that kind of thing there. But trucks and pensions... They don't get you to heaven. Jesus does. I love doing those things as natural things, but even greater than that, rather than delivering freight to somebody's freight dock or warehouse, I like to deliver souls for Jesus to go to heaven. That's the best delivery you can make. But anyway, that's for all of us. So as we look at the Word of God today, I believe that God is going to open your eyes to help you see more how to be more of an influencer for Jesus. Our greatest thing we can do is influence people to make spiritual decisions to go to heaven. That's, that's, that, that's the general plan for every born-again believer is to be a gospel carrier. And so we want to have 20-20 vision, and the best way I want to say it again is to look through the lens of God's Word. And so I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to be looking at the Living Bible, and I'm sure that other translations say it, Somewhat like it, but in the Living Bible, not the New, not the New Living Translation, but the the Living Bible, because I like the way this says it better than about any other translation I've seen. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. It'll be on the screen. A lot, lots of will have printed later on as we go through parts to see this. But I want you to see this, and it says since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up, and let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. And so as we look at this chapter right here, it says this huge crowd of men of faith watch us from the grandstands. Well, this is referring to Hebrews chapter 11, if you've been a born-again Christian very long and have read your Bible much, you know we call Hebrews chapter 11 the uh, the faith chapter of Hall of Fame of who's who in faith. And so lots of great faith people from the Bible are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, tell stories of Moses and David and Abraham and lots of women of faith and different people of faith, tells all their different things that they did for God that were faith things for God. But then at the same time, we have to understand there's a lot of people today that you know and that I know that have died and went to heaven, and they're people of faith too. And they're God's hall of fame of faith. And so he's saying that these people in heaven were able to look down from heaven to see what we're doing for Jesus. So that's this, that's this grandstands of faith people in heaven. They're watching what we do for Jesus. But what I want to look at in this part right here is that last, that last phrase in this, in this verse here. It says this, let us run with patience the particular race 
that God has set for us. This particular race that God has set for us. And so Jesus sees our life as a marathon, not just a 60-yard dash. He sees our life as a marathon, not just a 60-yard dash. And I think about that when I was, when I was in, when I was in school a few years ago, that's back when JFK was around. I remember JFK, John Kennedy, before he got shot. I, I was in track back in John F. Kennedy days. That was, that was a few years ago. I run track back in school back then. And I, I 60 yard dash, dash was my race. I was good at those little short sprints, but I could jump up and run and pretty much till I was about I was probably in my early 40s for finally some of my grandkids could start out running. But I ran pretty fast till I was a little older in life, but I was a fast, short sprinter. But then, you know, we've got the marathon racers. The people that run a long way, they learn how to pace themselves and keep going. And that's what Jesus sees in our Christian life is that we're not just in the 60-yard dash. We've had a lot of 60-yard dashers, man, since I've been in Barstow. I can't tell you how many people come into this church fired up, wanting to change the world, wanting to change me, wanting to change you. And they lasted six months and they're not here anymore. Man, they had a lot of fire for a while. And that's too, that's sad to say too many Christians that way, but they get all excited about Jesus. He doesn't change. But people do. And we need, we need to get it in our, in our heart that we're in this thing for the long haul. And, I was thinking about this uh, marathon business when I woke up this morning. I, so I looked this up, this definition of marathon. It's interesting. Uh, ma- marathon actually started back in 490 B.C. In 490 B.C., Marathon was a city in Greece. And there, there was a long-distance runner that when the, when the Greeks were fighting the Persians... The Greeks finally won, and they didn't get the message back to Athens. So this man ran for 26 miles without stopping. And, and the, the definition in Wikipedia said, the definition was this, he had a good news message to take back to Athens. We won the battle. And that's where the word marathon come from. They were having a battle in a city called Marathon. And the Greeks won. And they need to get the message back to Athens. So this guy ran with 26 miles. He had a message to share. And I think about us. Look at us. We have a message to share. The battle's been won. Our addicted friends need to know Jesus beat the addiction. Our friends that have these horrible diseases need to know Jesus took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses. Our people that are looking for answers, that are all confused about life, they need to know Jesus has a good plan for your life. Jesus is the answer. We are marathon runners. We're supposed to carry that message all of our Christian life. I got born again January 29th, 1980. I've been running this race for 40 years. Lots of legs, lots of segments. They weren't all great ones. Some were exciting ones. Some were mediocre. But the main thing is, think about the runner. If you were running for 26 miles, I'm sure along the way there, you get bored every once in a while. You just run and don't even realize you're running. You're just running because you're in the race. You're just running. That's what Christianity is. You stay saved. You don't back off. Man, some parts of it are really great. Some parts you're running through snow. Some parts you're running through sand. Sometimes the wind's blowing in your face. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's cold. Sometimes people's cheering you on. Sometimes you might have a jerk trying to trip you. You know, people cheat to win races. You know, you don't, you never know what's going to happen around you when you run the long ways like that. You're going to be parts of it you really love. Sometimes you're going to want to quit and stop because you just don't want to go anymore. But the main thing is you think, I can do this. I can do this. You think about the prize. I think about the prize. I think about life, how, how, how dumb this life really is that people would actually give up their Christian faith for a ball game. Or for a racetrack. There were so many other dumb things in life. They'd give up their Christian life, their Christian faith for that. When we got a prize before us, 
I have a lot of people in my family, the Samples family is a big family. I've got a lot of people that I stay, I stay saved because I love Jesus and He's real, but I'm so glad I've got people in my family that are absolute heathens that could talk about me. Well, wow, Bertie did that all those years ago and he never walked back. He's still living it. He's still doing it. We can call him. He'll pray. Well, let's call him. He'll know what to do. Call him. He knows God. Because they watched me run lap after lap after lap after lap. And that's where you need to be. You know, it don't need to be, well, uh, well, we could call her. Well, no, last I heard, uh, she don't go to church anymore. Man, she's drinking again. Well, I don't know about him. Last I heard, uh, he's on his 16th wife now. You know, he just, he, he gave up his religion. It's not religion. It's Jesus. It's eternal life. How do you turn your back on Jesus? We as Christians have a race to run. He said we run with patience the particular race that's set before us. Patience, that Greek word patience in the root meanings means to be constant and consistent. Constant and consistent. Before I was a preacher, my family and my co-workers knew, where's Bernie at on Sunday morning? He's in church. You can't call him this morning. He'll be at church. On Sunday night, the one he used to call Bernie, he's constant and consistent. He's in church on Sunday night. We know where he'll be. Hey, let's, let's, let's see if he wants to go with us on Wednesday night. Oh, no, we can't call him on Wednesday night. He goes to church on Wednesday night. Consistently constant. That's what a Christian is. They get their spiritual habits developed and they stick with what they know works. They stick with the plan. They stick with the program. They stay running the race. You know, if it's a big marathon race in L.A. or Boston or somewhere like that and you've got a family friend or somebody you know at it's marathon day, you don't try to pull them off course. They're going to be running the marathon. They're running the marathon. They run until they get to the end of the race. And we as Christians... If we're going to have a 2020 vision, we've got to recognize spiritual things are more real than natural things. God is a spirit. From the spiritual arena, God, when he broke into planet Earth, said God's spirit hoovered over the earth. And God saw that it was dark and says God for the spiritual realm said, let there be light. And God brought light into here from the spiritual arena. Well, in that spiritual arena, that same spirit. When you ask Jesus into your heart, that same spirit put light in you. And that light in you is the light of the world around you. And so we have to realize that when your body lays down and you die, your light doesn't go out. Because it's your spirit. Your spirit leaves the body. Your spirit goes to heaven because your spirit's eternal. And we have to realize, you know, if, if there's any way I can get a hold of carnal, lukewarm Christians and convince them how real spiritual things are, that'd be the best thing I'd do in my whole life for Christians to quit being so stupid and being half saved, part saved, sometimes loving Jesus, sometimes loving the world more than Jesus, and not not recognizing that all around them, their friends and family don't know what they know, and they need what they've got, and so they've got to stay in the race. Amen. Was that pretty nice to say it that way? Well, as a pastor, that's what you want to do. You want to see people stay spiritual. You want to, and staying spiritual doesn't mean all the time they've got a Bible in front of their face. All the time they're just quoting verses to everybody everywhere. That means the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, mercy, temperance, self-control, in other words, just living like a Christian all the time, whether you're preaching or not, you're living it. Because people so many times, like the old saying, I can't hear what you're saying because I see what you're doing. I remember when I, before I got saved, uh, there was this guy that we worked with at the truck dock I worked at. He was a mechanic. And it's such a sad story. You know, there wasn't very many Christians on the job then. I led most of the Lord before I left that company. I really did. I led, man, probably 60 or 70 percent of those people to Jesus. But the thing was, this guy was a former alcoholic. But when he got saved, he would stay saved for a while. And when he come in, he come in 
I'd, I'd just be smoking my Marlboros. I mean, I was a sinner. I smoked, I drank, I did all those things. He'd come in, he'd say, oh, you'll get rid of those things. God doesn't like you smoking. And all I could think was, who's God? What are you talking about? I didn't live for God. I don't think about that. And then we'd be telling dirty jokes. Oh, you shouldn't talk that way. That's wrong. Talk that way. Then the next week, that guy come in drunk. And then the next week, he'd come in living for Jesus and preaching to us. And then we wouldn't see him for two or three weeks because he's off drunk again. He was. We never knew where the guy stood. We never knew if he's going to come in drinking and carrying on. We're going to come in preaching to us, tell how wrong it was because we said dirty words. We never knew where the guy sat. He wasn't consistent. He had no witness to us. And so I know that uh, after I'd been born again for a while, I was, I was, uh, no, this was, no, this was before I was born again. Right before I got saved, God was working on me. I remember I was, I was sitting in the tavern with my brother-in-law. Just got her paychecks. We were sitting there drinking beer. And this is right when God was starting to work on me. I remember I looked at him and I, and I said, you know what? If I ever, if I ever become a religious person, I didn't know what really what saved was. That's all I knew how to say it. I said, if I ever decide to be a religious person, I said, I know one thing. I'm not going to be like so-and-so. And this is just a sinner talking, looking at a phony life. I said, I'm either going to be all the way or not at all. That's all I knew to say. I'm either going to be it or do it or I'm not. Well, after I was saved for a couple years, one day God said to me, he said, I heard you that day at the Sunshine Inn. Well, Sunshine Inn was the name of the tavern called the Sunshine Inn. He said, I heard you at the Sunshine Inn. And I forgot all about that because that was something that happened when I was a sinner drinking beer, talking to another guy. And I said, the Sunshine Inn? I hadn't thought about that place for a long time because I was a Christian now. He said, that night you was talking to your brother-in-law when you said you'd be all the way or not at all. He said, I heard you and I took you at your word. That's where I've been for 40 years. I've been in the marathon race. I recognize this wasn't just a lap at a time that you fall out and it's over with. And so anyway, in saying all this, getting back to our notes. So even if you had a bad 2019, you didn't lose. Amen. I want to say that again because <clears throat> I know that God's talking to people need to hear this. And he <clears throat> may be listed on the Internet. Even if you had had a bad 2019, you didn't lose because 2019 is just a very small part of your marathon. I want you to think about a marathon race. Think about one year. In my life, what's one year compared to 40 years for Jesus so far? 2019 was just one fortieth of the race I've lived. I've got a lot of years left. I'm going to I'm going to live. And I'll tell you one thing. I want to think about just now. 2018. How many knew me in 2018? How many saw me do much in 2018 besides sitting this front row here, just a vegetable just sitting here? 2018 had stage four blood cancer, had a serious heart attack. And basically they let me into church and sit me in a chair. And I sat right there, just tried to function. And I, all I could do was come to church. That's all I did. So you know what? If I looked at 2018 as my marathon, then wow, man, I lost everything. All 2018 was was just one horrible, bad, nightmare year. It does not define my life. What did I do in 2019? I was back in the race and running in 2019. Amen. In your life, if 2019 was a losing a job year, losing a best friend year, going through a divorce year, going through catastrophic sickness disease year, going through bankruptcy, what does that have anything to do with the marathon? If it was a great year, praise the Lord. If it's a mediocre year, praise the Lord. If it's a horrible year, praise the Lord. Amen. You know, Mrs. Pastor used to have a thing. Sometimes, you know, we should talk to somebody like that. And they'd say, oh, wow, I'm 40 years old like that was old. Say, well, it sure beats the alternative. 
I'm 68 years old. That's older than 40, but 68 sure beats being in heaven right now. I want to go to heaven, and I will go to heaven, but I didn't want to go to heaven when I was 67 years old. I want to be a part of my grandkids' lives. I don't want my wife to be the widow on the front row. I want my kids to be able to draw off the old man wisdom I've got now for living a little longer than they have so far. I want a congregation and other peoples be able to hear what I've learned from God's Word all these years for a long time. And so I don't want to go to heaven right now. And so 68 years old isn't old. It's older. But it isn't old. Because i still got a lot to do. And so wherever you are, whatever your age is, it sure beats the alternative. You can be the one that talk about how good of a person you used to be. But I'd rather you stick around for a while to help other people be good. Amen. And so anyway, in your, marathon, in your marathon, keep running. Don't quit. Stay living for Jesus through good or bad things. Jesus is good and never changes. We just keep living by faith in Him and His Word. Keep living by faith. And you know, I think about the feeling thing. Man, it's such a sad thing that Christians have to feel saved to know they're saved. We walk by faith and not by sight. We live by our faith in the Word of God. He says that His Word, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. Book of Revelations, God says there's a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. He says when you receive Jesus, He writes your name in the book. And so, even if I don't feel like I'm a Christian, the Word of God says I am because I ask Jesus into my heart. And I'll tell you what I've learned in life myself. I don't know about you, but the times my faith has been the greatest when I've felt the stupidest. You know why? It takes greater faith to believe in God when you don't feel Him. It does when you got goosebumps and hair standing up and all that good fuzzy feeling everywhere like that. And you're around people, you're in the service and singing that good song. What's that good song we sing about the Waymaker? Man, you're in here, you're in this service here, you got the Waymaker song going and the victory and all those things going. And man, everybody's all around you, everybody's all saved to do good like that. It's easy to say, oh Jesus, I love you, you're so good. But you get out there back in Heathenville again, where you're called to. I said where you're called to. We're called to preach the gospel to every creature. You're back in Heathenville. Nothing but cussing around you. Cigarette smoke going on. And all the people griping and complaining about President Trump. And when President Obama's in, griping and complaining about President Obama. Or whoever the president. They're complaining about the president. Complaining about the governor. Complaining about how high this is. How bad that is. How horrible the world is. And you're thinking, ooh, boy. Oh, I just, I don't feel anything. Man, oh, 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 like that. Well, when you're in that atmosphere, you're keeping your faith. When you're in that atmosphere, you don't join in with the grumbling, complaining. When you're in that atmosphere, and you smile in spite of it. When you're in that atmosphere, like I said, I don't go 50 minutes out praying. You're there, all this stuff going on around you. And you just kind of in your breath and say, Jesus, I sure love you. Lord, I'm so glad to know that you're real. Lord, if you'll just open the door. I'll talk about you to these people. Jesus, just give me an opening. And if an opening happens, your step fifth doesn't happen. You stay saved anyway. You say, Jesus, I love you. Lord, you're Lord of my life. Lord, I want to thank you. You're working in my family. I want to thank you, Jesus. You've blessed my finances. I want to thank you, Jesus. You've blessed my health. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you're good. And you still feel nothing, just stupid and dumb and blah because the atmosphere you're in. That's called great faith. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. You stay saved because you know it's right. You stay saved because you don't live by feelings. You live by faith in the Word of God. And you think, you think about eternal things. You think about eternal things. You stop to think. And you know, I don't know about you, but I think so many times about how real heaven is. And if heaven's real, then hell has to be real. Because of both in the Bible. And I think about eternity. 
And I think about this race we're running. And what I've always seen since I've been, especially since I've been a preacher, did a lot of funerals and things. Whenever I think about somebody that's died, I always realize it didn't just end for them. It just began. Did you ever think about a racetrack? They got a starting line, but the starting line is also the finish line. It's the finish line, but then it's back to the starting line again. And every human being that takes their last breath, they just finish one leg of the race in their eternal existence. All they did is cross the line from earth to eternity. And I always think about that, that as far as eternity goes, that what I do now on earth is going to influence what a lot of other people around me do for their eternal existence. You ever think about that? That's the things we got to think about as Christians that run our particular race. And God's got a plan for our life. And I know that uh, I'm not out there around a bunch of goofy religious people anymore like I used to be when I was a truck driver, man. I, I witnessed people come with all kinds, run across all kinds of people. But one of, the, one, of the, one of the phrases I used to hear, and because you're out there, you probably hear this, is like scratching my fingernails across a glass that just, ooh, made me feel so weird. Somebody went through some kind of thing where God saved their life or took it. Oh, God has a special call, a special plan for my life. He spared my life for a reason. Now I hear think about you goofball. Our lives are all spared every day for a reason because God loves us. <laughs> he spares our lives every day. His mercies are new every morning. And yes, you have a very special call in your life. I've got a special call in my life. I'm called to be a Christian. I'm called to be a carrier of the good news. It just so happens some of us have a more prominent public position than other people do. But when you come down to it, your callings may be uh, greater than my calling. Because you're the ones that's out there with them to get them in here so I can teach them. You're out there every day. They see me just a small, small, small segment of time. They see you eight or ten hours every day. And how you live every day, you're the gospel being lived in front of them. And so that's a very special calling. I think about my life when I was a truck driver out there, where they saw the guy that used to be the drunk, used to be the dirty joke teller, and all the things I used to do that all of a sudden they watched me for a year in and a year out before I was a preacher. They watched me living a clean life every day. Then people began to talk, wow, this God stuff must be real. Look at Bernie. Look at him. And then some of some of my best sinner friends would have me come to the hospital pray for the sick mothers when they were dying. To pray for their sick kids when they got hurt. When they're going through marriage troubles. Want me to come and talk to them and their wives. And I was a guy that used to be out there with them doing their stupid things. But then the special calling of my life was a special calling to be a Christian. To live like a Christian. To come and help put marriages back together. Those things. And then, after I was proven out there, that God put me in the pulpit to be a preacher. But the whole thing was, that is so goofy to think, God saved my life for a reason. It must be have some special purpose for me. Yeah, stay saved. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. And so anyway, and looking back at 2019, looking back at your life, thinking about the marathon... I've had mediocre years. I've had great years. Had the horrible years. But all they are is just one part of the race. I'm running a marathon. I'm not judging my life by the year by the year. I'm judging my life about where I'm headed to, going to live for Jesus. So he says, let us run our, with particular, let us run with patience the particular race God has set before us. Now listen to this. God has a very specific plan and purpose for your life. Say, for my life. God has a plan. Say, God has a plan and a purpose for my life. I want to tell you this. So many people make a mistake but try to compare themselves with somebody else. You can't compare yourself or your God-given desires with anyone else. You can't, allow, you can't allow someone else to dictate how to run your race 
unless what you're doing is absolutely contrary to the written word of God and violates his precepts and principles. You know, I learned something years ago. Missing Pastor and I, between us, most of you know this, we've got eight kids. We have eight children. And out of our eight children, I learned a long time ago that all my children were not called to be preachers. Amen. I raised my children up. We trained our children up to be believers. And then also, all my children are not called to go to college. See, the world's kind of got one, one, one cookie cutter fits all. Tell you what, my boy Joe out in New York right now, he's, 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 he's a Marine and he's in Brooklyn now. He's a Marine, but everybody knows Joe, knows that Joe, he's a very intelligent person. But the school and he tried for the college and stuff like that, man, that wasn't Joe. Man, I tell you, I'm more like buy the books and send him to school. What's he do? Eat the books. You know, and I'm not saying that in a mean way. I've seen so many people try to force all their kids to be at the same cookie cutter and it wasn't God's plan for them. Amen. How many know that God needs Christians working at Walmart? He needs Christians working on the railroad. He needs Christians working down at the gas station. He needs Christians being the bank president. He needs a Christian to be the president. He needs a Christian to be in Congress. He needs Christian judges. He, de- he needs Christians to work down at wherever it is. God has people in every phase of life. And so why do some Christian parents think they got to make their kids fit into their plan? If you teach your children, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train them about the way they should go when they're old, they're not to part from it. You train your children the value of going to church. Amen. <clears throat> not just by telling them to go and you don't go, but you let them watch you go. You train your children up the value of spiritual things. You train your children up the value of knowing who their pastor is. The value of serving in the church. The value of tithing. And spiritual principles. And then if God puts it in their heart to go for higher education, they're a Christian first. And education won't steal their Christianity. If God puts it in their heart to go through high school, be a high school graduate, and get a good factory job, or whatever he has for them to do, they'll be a good Christian in the factory. And the factory people will steal their Christianity. If God puts it in their heart to be a good Christian baseball player, Christian, talk about you, man, to be a good Christian baseball player, as a good Christian baseball player, it has to be, be his name's Christian. But anyway, if God puts it in their heart to be a good Christian baseball player, then sports will steal their Christianity. You see what I'm saying? Our job as Christian parents is to role model and show our children how to serve God, how to be good Christians, that God chooses to put in their heart. College, no college. Factory job, some other job. What other career profession? Go for more and be a brain surgeon. You know, you look at, uh, what's that guy's name? Ben Carson. You know, the the uh, pediatrician brain surgeon guy. I mean, you know, he's a guy born in the ghettos in Detroit, raised by a single mom, and God put it in his heart to go for more education, could be one of the premier baby neurosurgeons in the whole world. God put it in his heart. But how many other people that were born in ghettos of Detroit, didn't go that route. But God had a race for him to run called that. And so we as Christians, this is what we're looking at today, we as Christians need to know what the plan is. And then follow the plan, and then don't let somebody else tell you, well, you need, you need to quit, you do it, go back to school. Well, if God tells you to quit, go back to school, do it. But if God doesn't tell you, stay on the program. Amen. 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 Whatever it is, you've got to know how to follow the plan of God. So run the particular race that God gave you. And then you're, you're going to stay, stay on target. And so then, to know God's specific plan and purpose for your life, you must spend sufficient time pursuing spiritual, godly things so you can hear accurately your spirit from God. You must spend time being positioned 
to hear accurately your spirit from God. To really know the plan of God, you must be more than a casual Sunday morning church attender. If you want to be a serious believer, you start off by coming every Sunday morning, but you add to it Sunday night. I talk about if you really want to fine-tune your spirit to know exactly what God wants you to do, and then have the spiritual strength to follow through, you got to get more serious about spiritual things. And uh, you got to be consistent in your, in your Bible study research of God's Word. you got to be a person that I know that for me, and I'm not saying any of this to sell books, but I know that when I'm around my pastor and he tells me things he uses that helps him to be a better preacher, I buy those things he uses because I thought, wow, I want to get sharper at this. And so when we show books like this, if you're a serious Christian, wants to know God better, how to follow him better, then you buy resources. You get your Bible, you get your journal, and you spend time pursuing him. And so you hear in your heart what it is he wants you to do. And then also, you need to have a prayer time. Now listen to this. That's beyond your prayer. You're doing on the way to work. Or at nighttime, you're going to bed, lights are out, and the last little bit before your lights are out, you start doing a little praying right there at the bedtime. We all, I'm sure we all pray as we're going to sleep. I'm sure we all pray as we're driving down the road. But we're talking about fine-tuning your spirit to hear from God. You need to set aside some time, specific time, on a regular basis where you're not doing everything else. Where you're sitting, you know, uh, a, a quiet place in your house, a quiet place somewhere where you can have a Bible, a journal, and something, and you sit down and you start praying something like this. Father, I'm very serious about you. I want to do better this year. I want to have more influence on my family this year. I don't want to fall for the same stupid stuff I did last year again, Lord. I went down that road over and over again. I want this to be different. And sit down and ask him, say, I ask you to lead me now to verses that will help me have faith to say no to sin and yes to right living. To say no to backing off and say yes to serving you. And give me direction, more direction. Now, Lord, I know, I know you want me to be heading this direction in my life. Well, Lord, I need to have more precise what do I do next. And you don't get that just riding down the street in your car, dodging those other people when you're doing 90 miles an hour if you Jesus loves you bumper sticker on. Honk if you love Jesus. Well, they're not honkers to give you the bird. Because you're cutting them off. And so to be able to hear from the Lord accurately, you need to, in this part of your race, to set aside some serious prayer time, long for your Bible time. Anyway, we're talking about 2020 vision, seeing what God has for you. So once you know in your heart the direction God has for your life, I will look at some other things this verse to help you run each lap. And then he says, since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, and so your loved ones in heaven are watching and cheering you on to make right spiritual choices in life. To make right spiritual choices in life. Even if they didn't know much about spiritual things while on earth, they know now that's why they cheer when you have a spiritual victory. Because they see the eternal significance from heaven's viewpoint. Once they get to heaven, you may have had a very carnal aunt or uncle, brother, sister, somebody you knew, but on their deathbed, you led them to Jesus. Or the last few weeks of their life, they got right with God, you know, they're born again Christian. But once they get to heaven, you know what? They don't care about your new car you just got now, because they see eternity. They don't care about your new clothes you're wearing. They don't care about the Super Bowl. They don't care about the World Series. They don't care about these computer games you got. They care about none of that now because they're in heaven. They know how real things are. So they're watching you down earth. And every time, now listen to this, every time that you're down here and you're being tempted and you finally say no to sin this time, you say no to going down that right wrong road this time, and you say yes to Jesus this time, 
They're cheering you on. They're excited in heaven. It's thinking, oh, glory to God. They're finally getting it right. And they're looking down at you. And they're thinking, man, when I was down there, I never got it right until the very end. But man, he got it right today. And that's what he said. They're in heaven, cheering you on from the grandstands of heaven. I want to say that again. You get a promotion on your job, they can care less. That has nothing to do with eternity. You buy a brand new car, they don't care about your new car. They know your new car is going to rust someday, be cut up for scrap metal, but you're going to live forever. And the people you influence for Jesus, that's what's going to count. And so in heaven, now get this. You know, there's so many goofy ideas people on earth have about heaven. The Bible's the real thing about heaven. It tells you about heaven. Streets of gold, mansions, throne of God, river of life, trees of life along the river of life, and all the things in heaven there are. But only the redeemed, Revelation says, only the redeemed of the Lord go to heaven. And so up in heaven, they're there now. They're looking down. So think about that. And let's think about that for us. The things that we put value on down here that are nothing compared to heaven. Yes, God wants us to have a good life. He wants to have comfortable things, but He doesn't want things to have us. You know, I think it's a horrible thing when a Christian gets so far in debt over things that they can't say no to Sunday work. They have to work Sunday to pay for things and they lose their spirituality. Why they lose their spirituality? Oh, I can't take off today. Why can't you take off today? Well, because I owe my master. I thought Jesus was your master. No, for everything else, there's MasterCard. I listened to the commercial. No interest till 2020. So I put $20,000 on it. 2019. 2020 is coming. Well, Pastor, you won't be seeing us for a while. Why? Man, we're going on seven days a week. And if you told the truth, you go on seven days a week. Because you're paying all that interest from 2019 now. So you're on seven days. So you mean you're not going to be able to serve God this year? Oh, I'm serving the Master. So anyway, in heaven, they're cheering us on. And so they're cheering us on to make right choices for Jesus. So anyway, some more things then. Some more things then to help you run your race. It says, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. Especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. Well, get a picture of this. You're watching a race. You're watching the marathon race, those runners. How many know all they wear is a pair of shorts and shoes and something light across the top there? Because they don't want to down. Could you imagine? Could you imagine them bringing something from Marine Boot Camp to the marathon race? They're going to run 26 miles, got a big backpack on. Got combat boots on. Got a great big old round of ammunition around their neck. And they're trying to run 26 miles and be competitive? No, no, no. There's different things you need for different events in life. If you're in the marathon race, the purpose of the marathon race is to make it 26 miles. And finish the race. But if you got those things on, I know that big, bad, tough Marines and soldiers and all those kind of military people... They can do things for long ways. I'll tell you one thing, you're not going to run very fast. And you probably have to stop every once in a while to take something off for a while to get some relief. But if you're wearing the gym shorts or whatever they call those things and tennis shoes, you're running like that, it's going to be a lot easier. Chances are you're going to finish it. You're going to be in good shape. And so he tells us right here those things that hold us back Says we need to take those off because they're going to hold us back in our spiritual race. And to a serious believer, sin should be obvious. He said, get rid of the sins and the weights. Sin should be obvious. Sex sins, alcohol, drugs, lying, cheating, stealing. Things that are obvious to do, Christians to say no to. If you fall for them, repent and get right. But in the King James, it talks about weights. And here he says, get rid of those things. Let's talk about some things that might not be sin, but their weights are things that hold you back and they slow you up. Things that hold us back, I call time stealers. I call time stealers. And the things I'm going to say are really necessary things in life. 
But to extreme and excess, they steal your spirituality. Addicted to smartphones. I think about that. That's one of the most beneficial tools I've ever seen in my lifetime. But also, I've seen smartphones steal so much faith out of believers' lives. I've watched smartphones in my own life so many times, I've let the stupid thing get a hold of me. Man, just for no reason, you think, all I'm going to do is check and see what these emails are. Man, an hour later, like that, and then you wonder, I wish I'd had time to read my Bible today. Well, you had time to read your Bible today. But it became a weight. That weight held you back from running your race. And you know, I think about, I think about in the 40 years I've been saved, how technology has come along. It's wonderful. But it's terrible. But it's wonderful. But it's terrible. You know, the deciding factor is us. We've got things on the inside of us. Our soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we've got to make decisions about these things sometimes and say, I will not let that thing get me today. I will not fall for that trap. I will not. And so I know that more and more I have myself trained where I don't look at the stupid little pop-ups of the things. You know, things flash across there and say, did you see this or hear about that? I said, no, and I'm not going to either. i got better things to do. I don't have to. I don't care about what this person did. I don't care about that event. I don't care about this. I don't care about that because that's called a time stealer and I don't have time to have my time stolen. And that's what it says about our marathon race. He said, you lay aside those weights. You get rid of the sin because it slows you up. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed? Well, you know, some, some things get us like, like good instance of things like Reader's Digest and good secular books. Ball games, all those kind of things. I mean, they're all part of life. And there's nothing wrong with Reader's Digest as far as I know. You know, I used to read it years ago until I found out, man, if I spend my whole day reading through this Reader's Digest, faith doesn't come by hearing these good stories. Faith comes by the Word of God. And ball games and all those kind of things. I mean, it's nice to have relaxation. But if your whole life revolves around all these ball games, I've known preachers can tell me more about football statistics than they can about Jesus. I've been around Christians, and we talk about healing. They need healing. They can't tell me healing verses because they don't. They they don't. They don't remember stuff very well. But then somebody else walks up and said, "Hey, did you hear about Johnny so and so in the third inning of the second quarter?" Oh yeah. Well, you know what? Actually, statistically, this year he's got this, 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 and this. He's got a weakness, this, and he goes this, and he does that. And actually, back, back 14 years ago, he did this, 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 and this. And I said, "Wow, where's by his stripes you were healed?" Oh, I don't remember verses. Oh. Then somebody says something else. Well, said, you know, actually, Johnny's dad was this, 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 and this. Then his granddad did this. I thought, wow, you can't remember Bible verses? You can tell me all there is about those kind of things? I call that weights. Hey, Amen. I'll tell you what, it sure does get quiet in this holy, holy place. Hey, Amen. Addicted to all those things. Addicted to hanging out with friends. Man, good Christian fellowship is wonderful, but if all you ever do is Sit around with Christian friends laughing at Christian jokes and Christian comedians and all that kind of stuff there, just eating and eating and eating and eating. That's doing nothing to help you improve your vision. Amen. I want to say it again. None of these things are wrong, but they begin to control your life more than the Holy Spirit does. Then they become a weight and you need to make some adjustment. And so you want to be controlled by Jesus. So we must determine for ourselves the difference between good things and God things in our life. A lot of things are good things, but they're not really necessary things for you for the direction you're going. So there's only one way to do this, to make those determinations. Only one way to keep the right vision in verse 2 of this Hebrews 12 says this. Keep your eyes on Jesus, our leader 
and instructor. Keep your eyes on Jesus, our leader and instructor. Life is so much better when we stay in the race, carry the good news, and we can see clearly where we're going. And so, for your 2019, one of the things that we always do, we, we always like to take communion. We're not doing that today. We're saving that for next week to start the new year off with you right there. But you need to spend time <clears throat> on New Year's Eve probably and either take communion or at the very least stop, look at 2019. If it was good, rejoice. Did this say 2019? You're only one part of my marathon race. If it was bad, say 2019, thank God you're going. Ever start this next lap or start this next thing. And then for 2020, don't make any resolutions. Look to your heart, look to Jesus, and ask Him to show you, Lord, what can I realistically do by faith to cause 2020 to be the year you want it to be? And then something else too, make sure you know what the goal is that you want to accomplish in your life, where you want your overall life to end up at. But the most important thing in your life is to influence your family how you want to, then have your goals for 2019. Make sure they're in line with influencing your family for the Lord. And that would mean you can't get sidetracked with doing every other goofy thing in life except family things. Make sure whatever it is you want to do, in the race that you're running, make sure that during 2020, you have 2020 vision for the end of the marathon race. You're going to do things to contribute towards what you want to accomplish with your life. Amen. 2020 vision means look through the eyes of God's word. Let God shine in your heart to see what you're supposed to be doing. And if you're on a wrong road this year and you know it, find out by the grace of God how to turn around and get back on course. Amen. Let's stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.